Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome back to another episode of Audience First. As always, we have a very special guest with us today. We have JJ Davey. Did I pronounce your last name right? Yeah, you did. Very good job. Oh, right on. See, when you read it on LinkedIn, you know, it could go so many ways. <laughs> I am terrible at pronunciation. I am awful. Welcome to the show, JJ. Super thrilled to have you here. I've been following you for a while now. And it's going to be a blast to get to know a little bit more about you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? So who am I? That's a really good question. I wish I could type it in a terminal and it tells me who I am myself. Um, but I'm, I'm not exactly a terminal. Um, so I am JJ Davey. I've been in cybersecurity now for roughly about six years, five years, five or six years technology as a whole probably altogether around 11 years started off in the armed forces doing communication um really didn't like it because i know this sounds very very strange but the the, the armed forces wasn't a challenge i didn't feel like i was getting challenged and i wanted that kind of mental challenge so i left and um went on to civilian street to find more challenges i didn't even know security existed at that stage um, I just found a service desk role because IT was all I knew. Um, hated it, absolutely hated it. Um, left there and found a security operations role. And I, I didn't even, at that point, I didn't even know it was, it was in cybersecurity. I just thought it was another IT role. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like thrusted into this world of cybersecurity and it was trial by fire. Five years later, here I am today. Um, some people consider me a leader in security operations. I to myself i'm still one of these people i'm still learning every single day every single day i realize how little i don't know and and that's the kind of beauty of the industry i love that i can totally relate to that that's why i love this industry is that there is a passion among the practitioners uh and the the business leaders alike to to learn they're curious i love it so jj what do you hate most about the industry Oh God, how long have we got? <laughs> so I think one of the things that kind of grinds me down a little bit, and a lot of people think this is a controversial statement, and it is controversial to some aspect, but there's some reasoning behind it. There's a truth, there's a method to the madness, is a lot of people are expecting lots of entry-level roles in cybersecurity. Now, cybersecurity to me is quite an advanced technical field. So looking for businesses that are going to be hiring at that entry level is incredibly difficult. And it is quite a big ask of businesses to open their arms to say, right, we're going to let people have this responsibility, which could potentially cause more impact. Somebody that has to manage risk that has no experience and we want them to be able to do it. Well, for one, that's quite challenging for businesses to get to that stage they need to be able to sacrifice the resources to train that person and that could potentially take more resources away from the business so um, that hiring manager may need to step away from their duties to train people up and that becomes quite cost intensive for businesses so 
a lot of people are crying out for entry-level roles. And for me, it's like, well, why don't we change the narrative a little bit? Instead of crying for these entry-level roles, why don't we say, hey, how do we bring ourselves up to the level which is being asked for more commonly? Why don't we focus on that? Instead of dragging the the kind of barriers down um, to a lower level, which overall drags the quality down of people because people aim for a lower level, why don't we strive to meet that requirement? So for me, I'm one of these old-fashioned people where I say, well, let's let's meet them. Let's not say meet in the middle. Let's go meet them. Let's improve ourselves as much as we possibly can to fulfill their requirements instead of crying for entry-level roles when really, even in this economic climate, it's incredibly difficult for any department or any function to have an entry-level role, even accounting. They want people that can go in to do accounts straight away. They don't want people to learn on the job. They want people to be able to go there and perform their role. They want to make sure that that investment in that person is going to pay off straight away. They want to be able to see that return on investment. They want to see that work happening. What they don't want to do is essentially become an academy. Apart from that current challenge and that issue and and that beef you have with the industry, (laughs) as a leader in, in security operations, what is your one bleeding neck challenge? Oh, I think if, if we talk about security operations, the, one of the things that really kind of keeps me up at night is maturity in security operations. It's the fact that a lot of businesses stick a security operations center into their business and just don't do anything with it. They just throw logs at it, it produces alerts, and it does stuff. That's all they're concerned about. But they don't have like a maturity strategy. They don't think, okay, right, we're generating alerts, but how do we look at this security operations factory that's generating potential value that we can look into. For example, I done a talk to security operation managers about how do we remove the constraints in a security operations center? And one of my analogies is the security operations center is a factory. There's the inventory, there's the materials going into the factory. So we can say log sources. And then there's the, the throughput, the processes, you know, the, the SIM, the correlating the data, producing the alerts, and then the output, which is the product, which is the incidents, the alerts. And it's <clears throat> how do we mature this? How do we make sure that this factory is working optimally aligned with the business goals and objectives? Mm-hmm. Instead of just throwing more inventory in and hoping that the processes in the middle that are trying to generate these alerts keep up with what you're trying to do. So maturity is one of these things that I think that the industry is struggling to grasp. What does maturity look like? How do we approach maturity? Why do we need maturity? For me, the switch operations is a function in itself that needs its own strategy. As a SOC leader, what's the ultimate goal that you're trying to achieve? I think the ultimate goal for me, and this is a bit of a pipe dream, so you know, I, I do sound a little bit crazy when I say this, but a security <laughs> operation center that integrates with almost all business functions in some way, shape, or form that provides value to all business functions, whether it be through helping them with visibility, helping them with challenges, um, helping them do things safely, uh, whatever it may be. I think there's some way that we can integrate with different parts of the business. 
Take me back to the day when you first decided to to evaluate a new tool or solution to gain that visibility and have that integration and and have all the processes working, you know, like a well-oiled machine. Tell me what happened. So one of the first things I do is I don't look at the tool itself. I look at the problem. What are we trying to achieve here? How big is the nail and how big does the hammer have to be? And what's the wood that we're trying to hammer the nail into? I try to look at the problem. What are we trying to solve? So I look at a threat model. I understand, okay, right, we want visibility. We want ability to do detection and analysis. We want to identify threats. So first of all, threat model. What's our critical assets? What's our crown jewels? If it went down tomorrow, would it stop the business? That's what we need to protect. We need to protect what generates value in the business. So we understand what needs protecting. We put that in a wrapper and say, right, this is our crown jewels. Now we understand. Now we need to start understanding what is the threat to these crown jewels. Is it malware? Is it hackers inside of threats? Is it floods? Is it storms? Is it tornadoes? You know, we need to start putting all these things into this this bracket of a threat. And then we need to look at, okay, right, that's our threat model. And now we need to ask ourselves the question: How would they appear? Where would they materialize? How would these attacks come to fruition? Once we start to theoretically go through those scenarios we understand where we may need to put our eyes and ears so then we can say right okay now that critical web application server is sitting there we may need to ingest the 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 web application firewall logs and the web app logs and this is the this is our detection use cases this is what we're trying to detect instead of the age-old let's just ingest everything and then we'll worry about it later i think we need to go all the way back not worry about the tool I mean, we can talk about this all later on, but we need to talk about what we're trying to achieve. Why is this Why is this discussion even in existence? And that's why I think I've got to the stage where I am in my career is I ask these very nuanced questions that is kind of like left field, strangely left field for a lot of people is they don't like being asked these questions like why does it exist? Um, I, had a, I had a discussion with um, a security operations leader um and we were discussing right why does this sock actually exist and it all just goes back to the same question it's, it's to protect the pocket money of the business you know, what's in the bank we need to protect that it goes back to that that, uh, that adage but for me a lot of the times when i'm looking at a solution i want to look at well what is it trying to solve is it actually going to solve it because there could be a case where you're just buying a blinky box so you're defining the objective, which is then going to define the strategy of how you could potentially use that tool. Why? Okay, I'm going to try and figure out how to frame this question in the context of, of the journey, right? You, you, you went back to that day when you decided to first evaluate a solution. You went through the questions of why. Why didn't you ask those questions and evaluate that solution sooner like what changed in your experience or in your journey that you decided now is a, a good time to get that visibility and and get those integrations and make sure that the the tool is functioning to to provide value to the business so i um i joined a sock um and it was on fire and there was lots of problems, lots of bottlenecks, lots of constraints. And for me, I was playing whack-a-mole with the problems. 
I was finding a problem and I was finding a micro solution to that problem. But when I stepped back, um, I realized, hang on, these problems are because of a bigger issue. It's, it's causing, there's a downstream issue that's causing these problems to arise. And I was, I was trying to wrap my head around it. I was just like, well, what is it? What is it? I was talking to people. I was picking up on the phone to different leaders and I was just trying to wrap my head around it. And then I, I came across this book called The Goal, um, which is a it's a it's a book about business improvement. And I was just listening to it and I thought, I, I just thought it's it's a top book in business management. And I thought I'm just gonna listen to it. And it blew my mind. And I was just like, I'm looking in the wrong place. That the problem isn't a is a technical problem. It's never been a technical problem. This tech is here to solve problems. It's not here to create problems. So it's like, where do these problems come from? And it's the people. It's the people that implement it. And it's the, the people that don't ask the right questions when we implement it. So my mind was just blown wide open. So I was just like, well, I need to look at this problem from a completely different angle. So I started looking at, well, how do we mature the SOC beyond just technology? How do we look at people? How do we look at processes? How do we ensure that the technology that's being fed into the business goes through the right people and the right processes to ensure that it's integrated in a way that we get the benefits? Because there's no point spending all this money, 200, you know, 200 grand a year on the tool that you only use 20% of the capability of. When it's, you put this tool in, so for me, automation is akin to a machine in the factory. You pull it in there to increase the throughput of a particular process or function. So if you're going to put a piece of technology in there, that should do the same thing. It shouldn't become the bottleneck. Mm-hmm. 100%. Take me through the journey that you took, uh, you know, to to acquire that tool or evaluate that tool first before acquiring. What did you do and, and kind of what were you thinking about? So... If we take, uh, for example, in, in a scenario um, for a tool, let's just take the SIM, for example. Um, one of the things I'd look for is, because all the SIMs pretty much did the same thing. Um, so when it comes down to picking a tool, you, you, you'd be evaluating costs at that point because you all do the same thing. But one of the things that I like to do is think, okay, right, what have we currently got? Okay, what are we currently working with? You know, what what's generating logs? Have we got Palo Alto's? Have we got Fortinet firewalls? Have we got database servers? Have we got Azure AD? Have we got AWS? Let's do an inventory. What do we need to look at? Now, going back to that crown jewels, that threat model, what, what, what do we need to monitor? And then I look at, okay, which tools can integrate with what we have better? Because what I don't want to do is buy a tool and start building my own API integrations all day long because, one, that's going to be terrible because I built it, and, two, it's going to have a lot of maintenance because I built it. So I want something that's going to integrate nicely. So I'll start looking there. I'll get a bit nuanced with that. I want to know, can I get nice integrations? Can I get good dashboards? Can I get good visibility for it? Can I do automation that can streamline? Can I build workbooks that will help me automate uh, particular analytics? I would look at things like that. And that for me is a big decision factor when it comes to um, tooling nowadays, because tooling for me is, it is a pain point. But the market is so saturated with tooling, they all do the same thing. So it's always it's always down to the business now to ask the right questions to find their shoe size when it comes to a particular piece of tooling. Mm-hmm. Where do you spend most of your time 
when you're trying to make a buying decision? That's, that's personally, I've spent most of my time trying to figure out where is it, how is it going to fit in? Um, so I think I spend most of my personal time looking at, right, is this tool actually suitable? We have these five different tools here. We've got these um, far, five RFPs in front of us. Um, which one is going to fulfill our use cases as much as possible? So I think a lot of the time is actually through use case generation. What is our problem? What we're trying to solve? What's our crown jewels? What we're trying to protect? Um, right. What do we need to automate? What's our problems? What's the processes? Or what's the pains that we're trying to solve? And then translating that to, can this tool do it? Yes or no? Are there any channels or resources that help you, you know, help tip the decision over to a positive one? This is actually going to sound really, really left field now, but I've actually got quite a lot of like buying advice from Discord. There's uh, so quite a lot of Discord channels where people, they chat about products, you know, there's other people that's used it as well. So you can get their opinion on it as well. Mm -hmm. um, a, a long time ago, uh, when I was at a... Um, a cruise company they were going through a buying decision of a very popular tool not going to name the vendor but they're going through a very popular tool and it was marketed to be the next generation ai fancy dashboard cyber attack maps it, it is it is the be all end all of tools and i just put on this group i was like has anyone used this tool before um and the about 10 minutes later this guy popped up first line absolutely terrible don't use it it took mm -hmm. my network engineers so many time uh, so so many hours to try and integrate it and try and install it properly on the network um and i was just like okay so i jumped on a call with them and then we ended up having a bit of a group chat there's a few of us jumping in um i was telling them why we're going to look into it and they said no try this tool instead this is what you're looking for so i actually get a quite a lot of voice from discord and, and that's where i actually get quite a lot of security advice now is from um, colleagues on Discord. Nice. Are there any right now, given the market, the cybersecurity market right now in the industry, are there any differences or anomalies occurring and happening that, you know, vendors could take advantage of to stand out in your eyes? I think the, I think the biggest one is at the people perspective is vendors need to start building relationships instead of looking at you know these lead filters or lead generation they need to start integrating with the community a bit more and they need to start learning from the people on the ground just building uh, building communities essentially because those communities are going to be filled with potential leaders of the future and if you can get really good relationships with them now that's going to influence buying decisions in the future if you build those relationships and you, you know, keep those bridges strong, that's going to open up the door to many more opportunities to make good sales uh, in the future. One of, the pet, one of my biggest pet hates is when somebody connects with you on LinkedIn and instantly sends you a white paper PDF with a sales pitch. And I'm like, that's not how you do it. I just ignore you. I would ignore you and I probably won't ever talk to you again. Um, and if your company probably approaches me, I'll probably have that sour taste of your instant sales pitch. Um, on the flip side, 
I'm friends with a lot of salespeople at vendors. I mean, I go to conferences, I get drunk with them, uh, and they're the first people that I would go to if I want to look at solutions. I would say, hey, I want to look at your tool, you know, let's go and jump on the chat again uh, because I've got a relationship with them. So I think if they want to stand out, they need to integrate more. They need to stop being sales. They need to stop being marketing and start integrating with the community a lot more. What does that look like, a good integration within the community from the vendor side? So it could be anything from developing training platforms or tra- developing training sessions and training content on their um, on their sim tool. So, for example, um, Splunk do a very good job at this. They have Boss of the Sock. They have all of their training platforms. They have their certification paths. Um, they even have forums that you can join. You can um, join lots of um, Splunk webinars where you can chat with people. I also, when I go to conferences, there's vendors that are set up open bars where you can go there, chat with leaders, you can chat with other people, chat with the vendors. Um, some vendors have even started to develop their own Discord servers where people just go in and just talk about it. I mean, one of the, if I know it's not exactly a security tool, but if we look at these training platforms, one of the biggest elements of the training platform, the biggest selling point is the community, is you learn from other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that vendors need to start tapping into. And we're starting to see it. Um, I'm trying to think of one. There was one that I, I went to recently where it's escaped me, but they had a, it wasn't Discord, it was a different platform, but they had a community there and they were just talking. And one of the salespeople was in there was just sending us like information about their product, about you know how it could fit in and just basically guiding the discussion around their product. Not trying to sell us stuff, but we're just generally interested about our views. And, and I thought, that for me was a bit more powerful than someone just saying, here's a white paper, buy our product. Mm-hmm. 100%. What's, I, I want to go into storytelling time. This is the segment we call the shit list. So what's the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor? <laughs> okay. So this is back in 2000, 2019 at InfoSec Europe. Um, we were in this, we were in the process of moving from one sim platform to another sim platform. We went to InfoSec Europe as a team and both vendors were there and their stands were very close to each other. And the salespeople from each different vendor recognized us. And we got roped into a discussion. Um, it was like a magic show. We sat down and we done a little magic show and uh, basically there. And that was with the vendor that we were moving from. Um, and we were moving to another vendor um, who was just across the way. So we were just sat there, and I sat there with my um, my senior engineer, who was my um, basically my senior at that time, and um, the VP of regional sales. Um, he was like the top dog of sales um, for this company that we we're moving away from. Basically went, oh, so um, how are you finding our product? Uh, is it you know is it? he didn't realize that we're moving away from it because we're one of the biggest customers at the time and he didn't realize and um i blurted out and went yeah we're moving to vendor the other vendor now yeah we're getting rid of you and uh he put he no joke he put his hand on my shoulder and he went i will know more about security than you ever will in your entire career um and i was just like okay um <laughs> so i went to the other vendor and they just went yeah he's like that here's a beer 
Oh my goodness. No. Okay. So let's flip it on its head. What would have been the alternative in that kind of a blip of an, of an experience? I think the alternative would have been for me to not run my oh. mouth and not say stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we're human. <laughs> yeah. you know, shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, don't one up the buyer. All right, let's 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 get in some to some good experiences. What's uh what's one thing a vendor has done that has made you feel good? Like what what worked for you? I think one one of the things that a vendor done to you know, make me feel good, and, and for me, I'm really heavy on the people connection. Was mm-hmm. um, and, and this is this is a funny story as well. Is we kind of um, in a pub, and there's a big pole in the middle. And um, we're incredibly drunk and we know we're having a good time. Um, and me and this salesperson basically become pole dancers for uh, a, about 15, 20 minutes before we were both told by security that we're not to do that because of the structural integrity of the building might be compromised. Um, and we became really good friends after that. And for me, we just had fun. Um, you know, There's no work taught, no security. We just had fun. And I would go talk to him and just say, hey, you know, I probably need your assistance with this, you know, what can you do? Or if somebody went, Oh, you know, I need this. I'm like, Oh yeah, go speak to him because I've had that fun experience of him. He's a guy that I, I know is approachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I, I see that as a common theme in the, in the podcast when I'm speaking to, to other practitioners is, you know, I, I have a very stressful day. I'm talking about technology and, and problems and work all the time all i want to do is just kick back and talk to a person and, and have a human conversation so yeah i love that advice we're uh, headed towards the end of the session and we just breeze through this i love it super valuable information here jj is there anything you want to impart on the audience today we're, we're speaking to cybersecurity marketers and, and salespeople. i think one of my biggest takeaway points which is it's just be human more you know that i think that's the common theme running through this is really trying to tap into that human element and when you're approaching people for sales just think about the person on the other end of this receiving you know who's receiving this sales pitch think about them a little bit more um, think about their problems what they might be going through you know what their stresses at work think about their use cases a little bit more try not to come across as a sales robot because sales i know i'm not a salesman but i speak to a lot of them and there's a common theme between a good salesman is sales is 90 percent that human element it's, it's that human connection that technology piece is going to fix a problem but that relationship is going to build sales yeah 100 i couldn't agree more JJ, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming to the show. You're always welcome back to to have a chat and just hang out. This has been another episode of Audience First. Thanks for listening. 